startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from startuprad.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany. I'm bringing you today another interview in our series with investors. This time, I have the pleasure to welcome the business angel of the year 2020, Nicholas D. Bayer. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Joe. Hi, everyone. I'm fine. Thanks. Um, we may tell our audience before that there are many awards for business angels, but yours is from the German Business Angel Association called B-A-N-D, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's correct. And the specialty here is that it's not a jury granting this award. Well, in the end, yes, but in order to be nominated, you have to be nominated by one of your startups. Oh, so 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 it was it's actually an investor's award where the startups have to recommend the investor. Yeah, exactly. So that's some kind of gate that not everyone may get this award. And which is something which makes me exceptionally proud because my startups have nominated me. That is really cool. But before we get into your um, business angel investment, investing and investing philosophy, let us first talk a little bit about what you did before. I've seen you had several... Uh, stops along your professional path. Can you take us like a little bit on the journey uh, to the stage what led you to um, starting up your own company? Because my understanding is you started a company, you sold it to IBM, and from those proceedings, you became a professional investor. But first, let, let us take it step by step, okay? Yeah, so basically I studied computer science in, 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 in Aachen and then because of my diploma thesis, I, I went to, to, the, to Frankfurt and into the banking industry. And um, I was focusing on payments in general and on fraud in payments. And one day, that was in 2006, 2007, there opened the chance to open uh, or to found my own company together with a partner, which we did. And um, yeah, the business was about preventing fraud in credit card transactions, or online banking and so on. Um, as I, although I said that I studied computer science, I've never worked as a typical programmer or software developer. I was always at the customer facing side. So selling a product, marking a product, um, project or product management and um, so this was almost happening as it should have that I said okay now let's build the own business which we did and then um, this this went quite well and, and then in 2015 there was like a strategic discussion internally do we grow further on our own uh, because we were addressing a global market or do we need external funding uh, to accelerate growth even more? And then almost out of the blue, there suddenly was IBM, which was interested in, in, in acquiring the business, which they then eventually did. And um, I myself thought, well, I've just gone 40 years 
and I, I'm so rather young, I can start doing other things. So I don't need to stay in the business, um, which uh, happily I could because all the other key persons in the in the company stayed with IBM. So I was allowed to to leave the company, and then yeah, then it happened. Some months later, I converted myself into an angel investor. Out, out, out. I would be at first because this is a podcast where I guess like 90% more or less of the audience touches um, entrepreneurship. Can you tell us a little bit about what your company was all about? Because my understanding is that fraud prevention in uh, credit card payments is still desperately needed and there is still today a small level, but still a fraud going on. So, I mean, a very basic example is you have uh, you have a credit card and there's one payment at a gas station at 9 a.m. in Frankfurt. And uh, three hours later, there's an ATM withdrawal in New York with the same card. And, and we as human beings, we know that this is not possible because you cannot travel as fast. However, from a technical perspective, um, I mean, the card was valid, the PIN has been entered correctly, there's enough money on the account. So from a technical perspective, perspective both transactions are completely valid. And normally, the, uh, the second transaction, the withdrawal in New York, would be granted or authorized, as is the technical term for that. And so um, we, in our business, we, we had a real-time transaction analysis engine, which was looking for such special kinds of behavior. Yeah. Uh, in fact, um, what, what we've been doing is one of the first commercially successful applications of, of artificial intelligence. That artificial intelligence and fintech is always very interesting. I, I can see why IBM got interested in this. Uh, sorry, but I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, that's that's fine. So, um, yeah, I mean, this simple example is explaining very lucidly how it works. You have technically everything is correct and looks fine, but still um, we as human beings immediately know this is not possible. Was sitting there in the in the payments stream and and looking for kind of uh, of abnormal behavior or deviations from uh, from from normal standard behavior, and of course it gets much more complex than just this uh, single easy example. I see, and then you decided, okay, now I uh, now I have sold the company. I made some money and was it already when you decided to kind of go your own way after selling the company, was it already that you set your heart on becoming a business angel or did your first investment happen by accident? <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't really happen by accident. It was a, uh, a, a reasonable dis decision in itself, but it, it happened by chance. Let's say actually I was on a wedding of a friend of mine, and um, I got—I literally got drunk with someone else. Uh, we were standing at the bar and uh, having a good chat, 
And um, a few weeks later, he told me of this company, which uh, was very interesting and looking for, for funding. And he really got me excited. So this was then my first investment, uh, which is um, um, Democrans from Dubai. Uh, they do micro-insurance for the third, third world. So for like low-sum uh, insurances, which are in a third world country, a big deal, but not like here in Germany, where the premium would be so low that no insurance is interested in that. So I invested in this company. and um, But then at the same time, I thought, oh, look, this is high-risk business. And if you just do one ex investment, you can almost be sure that you will lose your money. So I need to to invest into more startups and and take it serious. This is um, this is not spending money for fun. This is serious business. I want to have uh, a return on investment. So I need to spread my risk. Uh, and and this is how it, how it started. Then I started to look at uh, generating my own deal flow and so on. So there. Now it's at the moment, it's 11 startups and I'm looking to grow further um, because I know in the end, eight out of 10 uh, startups, unfortunately, will not make it. But with 11 startups, you do have the opportunity, 11 current investments to really have um, a valid uh, business in your portfolio and are really think that it's a very good idea to diversify your risk also as a business angel. Um, I, I, I was just smiling because it appears that in the last few weeks, uh, a lot of the interesting startup stories uh, start on a bar or with a bottle of wine. So um, so you're, you're along that lane. Um, I would also be curious um, how you then approached your diversification because my understanding is that all the startups are looking for investors and the investors are looking for good startups but there's always an issue of information how do you match those both and so i would be curious how startups like a lot of startups out there how they're getting the attention of investors of course appearing on startup radio but other channels It's also the other way around. I mean, investors are looking for for uh, for great startups. So I do ask the question myself as well: How do I get in? Do I, how do I get in touch with good uh, startups? Um, what I've learned is uh, in in the past few years that from a startup perspective, I mean, if you do your initial pitch deck right, as boring as it sounds. Um, This is an important first step because really I, I do see so many pitch decks a day and it really comes down to the first impression you make. And it's like scanning the pitch deck for like, and you have just three, four, five minutes when, until you say, okay, I want to learn more or I put it into the bin. And, and then there's what I like very much is the, um, the suggested pitch deck approach by Sequoia Capital um, because that's really boiling it down to the key question an investor has. And um, so do craft those 10, 12 pages correctly and then it's already 
you're getting very far in in in, in providing uh, angel investors a first good set of of information to answer their immediate questions. Of course, we will have them linked down here in the show notes. I was I was just missing one little piece because we entered at the point where you are getting the pitch decks. I was I was curious uh, how you first get the contact of getting the pitch decks. How you find the um, the startups? Um, is it just your network? I think it's it's based on. Two pillars. Um, first one in really is the network. And I know for a startup, it's difficult to get into a network. And But the second pillar here is like the business angel associations, like the um, business angels here in Frankfurt, Rhein-Main. Um, you can just drop your pitch deck there or fill out a, a questionnaire. And then you are in the deal flow and will be considered. Um, the info is sent to a we call it screening committee and and there's, there's some angels looking at it screening at it and if you pass through you're being asked to join a matching event which happens every month uh, a month and this is like 800 to 1000 uh, startups are filing their uh, pitch deck a year and i would say every month we have like six of them presenting in person. Well, at the moment it's virtual through uh, through video conferencing and maybe next year it will be in person again. So this is, an, for me, an important source of deal flow as well, because um, we have the pre-screening there, which helps a lot. And, um, and this always is then also about co-investing together with other angels, which is necessary or from my perspective, wise to do. Um, so I would recommend to look out for those angel syndicates which are <laughs> asking for your uh, pitch deck. And, um, and then, I mean, of course, the third option is like contacting someone on LinkedIn. Um, I do read, I personally, I do read those. Um, what I fully ignore is like connection requests which don't even put in some notice why someone is trying to connect. But if someone sends me a, um, a reasonable note why he's contacting me, I will read it. So I think these are the three sources of, um, of deal flow. Yeah, network, angel uh, syndicate, and, and then the social network. Okay, I see. And now you have the pitch deck in front of you. You're just skimming through it. What, what are the points you are looking for that the founders or the founder thought about up front? I would like, first of all, I, I mean, it's about the business idea or the problem they are going to solve. So that's I want to understand that and I want to know that it is a a reasonable problem. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to invest into a cute, nice idea which will work, but in the end is small. Now I'm looking for for problems uh, which have the the opportunity to to generate like a hundred million euros revenue a year. And the second question then is 
Is this a vitamin pill or is it a painkiller? Yeah, or in other words, is it nice to have or is it sorting out a serious problem? Then another question, of course, is, is the team looking good? Um, I have invested into single founders as well. Uh, but normally, of course, it's it's easier if you can say, look, they already have an established team and they are, um, they are meeting typical requirements. I mean, a software a company which doesn't have a CTO is a bad idea. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so I think these probably are the, um, the three, my personal three uh, major points. So what about the team? Is it sorting out a serious problem and is the addressable market big enough mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i see let's say you are uh then putting out a term sheet meaning writing down your standard terms under which you or the syndicate would like to invest um what is then the usual reaction of startups do they just accept it or is there like a lot of uh uh, a lot of no negotiation going on. I think there's still a lot of discussion afterwards. Um, the, um, well, of course, pricing or valuation is one big issue where you can be miles away or never get to uh, never get on terms. But on the other hand, for like, especially for first-time founders, there's some things which are really hard to accept if they read it for the first time. For instance, like the vesting. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting ill and I have to give back or a big majority of shares. This is hard to accept and you have to explain them what the rationale for this. Uh, so there's lots of discussions around this. What has helped uh, hugely is the, um, the standard term sheet and standard uh, contracts, which at least here in Germany have been recently been uh, drafted by the German Startup Association together with the um, uh, Business Angel Association, because these two groups have sat together and and agreed on like standard terms. So um, we all know that there's some um, in favor of the startup or in the founder, and there's other aspects in favor of the investors. So uh, this has cut down many discussions recently. Of course, we will also link them down here in the show notes, but they are in German only. Let's say, okay, we now get a step further. You, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I can correct you. They are both in German and in, in English. And I probably would suggest that even if you're from another legal system, have a look at these because exactly there has been the big discussion between investors and founders and their lawyers of course uh, to find a um, some a good leveling between the interest in, of both parties i can imagine this will have in other jurisdictions as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i see i see i was mistaken and corrected thank you um now that you guys agreed on uh, funding, what 
is because there are like several types of business angels one that always want to be the backseat driver uh one that is completely ignoring the startup and uh ask once a year hey guys how are you doing um are, are you somewhere in between those extremes I, I I do consider myself as an as a rather active uh, business angel. So I'm trying to keep in touch uh, with the founders on a regular basis to be there when they need me. Like if they want to uh, to discuss a certain issue of their business, to challenge them. Um, so chances are high uh, you will see more of me than other angel investors typically which also means you have a limited amount of a limited number of startup slots for you because you you're getting involved what i understand is this uh, that a lot of startups are having something like a whatsapp a telegram group where they regularly send out some type of update some type of what's going on uh, do you also have that Now, WhatsApp and Telegram, personally, I have not seen as a communications channel. But yes, we have Slack uh, or plain old email <laughs> or shared docs. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it, it's always a question also of in which phase a startup is or how experienced the founders are. I mean, I mean, some uh, I don't see for like like two months. We only have quarterly meetings, but others, uh, if there's something going on which or where I can help, then it may need I'm 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 in touch with them several times a week. I mean, it, particularly when it comes to financing rounds, uh, then there's always lots of involvement of the existing investors, and or. Like typical situations would be when the company grows and, and approaches the next level and um, the founders notice hmm, maybe we need to work on our organization or we need some help in, 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 in staying focused. Yeah? Or how do I uh, structure my, um, my HR uh, or how do I structure my development uh, strategy and, and and stuff like that and that can mean that i uh that i go and work with the uh with the startup for for a number of days but generally i'm not an operational person i'm the coach here and i'm i'm asking questions from the startup founders i'm giving advice but i'm not then executing that's that's for them Yes, I, I, I've noticed that there is like a lot of questions that pop up on a on a very uh, predictable path for startup founders, especially when the startup is growing. And at one point they can run it like um like a, a shoebox in a shoebox mentality, money in, money out. But at one point when you start to have like two digits of employees, like 10, 12, 25, you, you, you cannot keep track of what everything is doing and you need to really take the step and break stuff down and divide it between people, which I personally found pretty hard to do a very first time. Do you also see that? Yeah. I mean, we we have to differentiate between first-time founders and and people who have been running a company previously. I mean, and this dominant dominantly applies to the first-time founders 
Uh, they are getting into situations where they have never been before. And the problem can be that they even don't know that they are in a, in a difficult situation. Uh, so that now you've grown to a certain level that you immediately need to implement uh, some processes. I just had that recently. Recently, like first-time founder, uh, growing above 10 employees or 10 employees in the development department, and then they notice, oh, there's this chaos coming up or uh, it's not working as smooth as it should. So, um, and there, I always want to be proactive, like challenging my founders um, what could be a problem now? Because I know when they reach a certain size, these are typical problems. So I'm challenging, challenging them, asking, hey, do you have a problem here? Um, but I'm also um, trying to establish an, an, a, a relationship with them where they automatically come and talk to me about potential uh, issues and room for optimization. And so that I can give back some of my uh, previous experience. Yeah, that's also what I found very useful if you have an, a business angel who does not only give you money, but also provides additional, um, additional benefits. I think we got through most of the points we've been talking about, but let me ask you two questions. Um, first, what would be your top recommendation? for a first-time founder who just gets his pitch deck together and thinks about um, approaching business angels? What would be like your first tip except for uh, get your pitch deck together, look for the Sequoia uh, pitch deck, look at the uh, German Standard Setting Institute website, the financing contracts and stuff like that. What would be like your number one tip there? I would say be open. Uh, and try to learn uh, from the advice or the feedback that people are giving to you. I mean, of course, um, every investor is a bias, so he may tell you some things which are in his favor, but if you speak to more people, you will, of course, get more feedback. So go out and listen what they are saying, and even in the if you make errors or not really in the first instance you will surely have a second chance with the next interested investor and then you can do better yes i've i've oh. don't try to don't try to uh to uh to pose that you're the best and uh most knowledgeable person uh, it's it's just natural that you don't have as much as experience as someone who has twice the age for instance, of, as of you. Uh, yes, that, that pretty much goes down the alley. Uh, we've been talking about, for example, Christopher Oster, uh, founder and CEO of Clark that we talked to recently. He said they talked to something like 300 investors in total since they started raising venture capital. They are right now in Series C. And uh, the guys from Penta I talked to, they had talked to, uh, they had to talk to more than sixty investors before they found an investor. So it can quite drag on. Uh, one last question I would have for somebody who's out there: Let's say for one reason or another they have not been a successful entrepreneur, but they do have some 
money and are thinking about investing as a business angel, what would be your recommendation for them? Um, I would say go and um, go to such an angel investment club and 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 don't invest alone as a lonely wolf. So they they can give you some help or advice and you can learn from them. This is one thing. You're not alone. I would I personally, although I do have some quite experience now, I would never do an investment alone. I always work in a syndicate. And then uh, the second uh, recommendation is, as I said before, this is high risk. Um, chances of failure are very high. If you do that once, you need to do it to 10 times on the long run. Otherwise, you will just be losing money. So um, as, an in, as, a, as a type of investment, one startup is not enough. Definitely not. So you should have the capability to invest in more than one startup. Best would be something like 10. And of course, you have to have the money to actually um, carry the losses uh, because eight of them are most likely not going to succeed, right? Yeah. So third advice here is don't invest money which you need. <laughs> oh, well, somehow you need it, but... Um, just consider it will be sitting there for seven or eight years and you have no chance of accessing it and don't spend that money which you need for your daily life uh, or depression if this, if this startup would uh, become bankrupt. Great. It was such a pleasure having you here. Thank you very much. There were a few interruptions and a few times your resolution jumped uh, where I had to adjust the, the, the frame. Really sorry about that. And for a few split seconds, your picture was frozen. Unfortunately, that is something due to the internet we cannot really um, we cannot really influence, but I do believe the audio and sound quality in 99% uh, of the interview was pretty great. Thank you very much for being a guest and everybody who would like to learn more, go down here in the show notes. Of course, we have the pitch deck from Sequoia. Of course, we have the standard financing terms. Of course, we do have a link to several business angel organizations and the German Federal Business Angel Organization, as well as your personal LinkedIn profile, right? Yes. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here with you. If you are a professional looking at the European startup scene, Germany is a place you cannot miss. Fortunately for you, there is StartupRad.io, the authority on German startups. This English-only podcast brings you fresh interviews each week. Most likely, you have never heard or read anything on these startups before in English, but you will in the future. Be ahead of the curve and subscribe to StartupRad.io podcast or check for the StartupRad.io internet radio station. Check your Alexa for the StartupRad.io skill as well.